Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Edward Sullivan and John Baird of Velocity Group, a top-tier full-spectrum coaching firm for startups. Edward has been coaching and advising startup founders, Fortune 100 executives, and heads of state for over 15 years. His clients include executives from Google, Salesforce, Slack, and dozens of other fast-growth companies. John Bader is the chairman of Velocity Group. He has been considered one of the premier executive coaches in Silicon Valley for over 25 years and built his career coaching in the C-suite at companies ranging from Apple and Nike to startups like DoorDash and Masterclass. In this episode, we dive a bit more into their backgrounds, talk about guiding founders from building products to building companies, the value of authenticity, particularly when it comes to leadership, how they help their clients understand their own leadership styles, their approach to blind spots, the danger of false harmony, Velocity's 360-degree approach, investor and board management, introverts versus extroverts, navigating the co-founder relationship, and so much more in this episode. It's full of insights. Really enjoyed this one. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Edward Sullivan and John Baird from Velocity Group. John and Edward, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys on. There's a lot to discuss. But for people who aren't familiar with Velocity, can you can you tell us what you guys do? Yeah, so Velocity Group is a boutique executive coaching firm. We work with kind of mid-stage startup founders and help them scale their companies through coaching, through facilitated exercises, through helping them develop their culture and values. Uh, we're, we call ourselves a full-spectrum coaching firm because we do everything from the emotional side and to the business side and help them that way. It's interesting, uh, Justin, we started uh, Velocity based upon the assumption, having done a lot of coaching work with large companies like Apple and Nike and eBay, uh, that we wanted to bring really good practices of leadership, teaming, building culture to early stage ventures. Both Edward and I have a, just a passion for startups. We love yeah. innovation. We love change. Right. And so if you can get it's kind of like early intervention, it's like childhood intervention. If you start <laughs> on the problem early, you can. Mm -hmm. So we want early sort of uh, who they are, who their teams are, the values of their culture. If you begin early in forming that company and we know culture matters so much these days and the leadership yeah. is part of that. Uh, if we can start that early and sort of that was the uh, sort of the intention behind starting Velocity. I love that. And we're definitely are going to dive into culture a bit. It's one of the things I have on my list of, of questions, but I would love for each of you to just go a little bit deeper on your, on your background. I think people would like the context around that as well. John, you go first. Yeah. So I, I come out of an academic background, um, just having been a professor of leadership and org development and business for a number of years. And then I had a uh, leave of absence, which that leave of absence really changed my life at Apple. Apple just bought my contract from the university for uh, a full year. Uh, and I think Justin, that was <laughs> after that year was like, do I start working at Apple or do I start my own company? So a year yeah. later, I left the university and uh, got going on starting my own coaching firm on early work at Apple, particularly with uh, the when Steve Jobs came back and we started the coaching firm based upon a lot of early work there during that stage. 
and Edward, we'd love to hear you as well. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of came into executive coaching through the side door a little bit. John was like this you know, leadership professor and recruited by Steve Jobs to start the coaching uh, program at Apple. Um, I was in politics, actually, for the first half of my career. I was um, working with a guy named James Carville, who was uh, the Raging Cajun, worked for Bill Clinton and all these people. And um, he took a shine to me when I was in my 20s. And together, we went around the world helping to get pro-democracy leaders elected in different countries. And um, in my mid-30s, I was uh, recovering from that period of life, uh, living out of suitcases, <laughs> and I did kind of a mid-career MBA. And I was telling some of these war stories at the lunch table to some of my classmates. And one woman reached across the table and she said, wait a minute, if you've gotten the three people elected to president and parliament, you can help me get a promotion at BCG. And, and I'd never thought about my skill set as being transferable into executive coaching. But really, you know, I had 10 years of experience coaching these candidates on how to be great leaders and how to stay on message and how to motivate their campaign teams. And um, sure, sure enough, she was correct that the skills were pretty transferable. And um, I coached her and then other classmates got on board. And now five years later, John and I are running this business. And with that as well, then, one of the things that I read about was really helping helping founders go from building products to building companies. Can you take me through high level what, what that kind of entails, kind of the shift from that? Yeah. Um, John, I'll take a stab at this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we found a lot of really smart people are amazing engineers. They're amazing designers. They're great product people. They're great at thinking through like what the customer really wants. And a lot of founders find that in the first year or two of the company, they're focused almost exclusively on the product and on that customer relationship. And then uh, a venture capitalist comes along and says, hey, great job. The dog ate the dog food. You got a great product <laughs> out there. Here's $25 million to scale the company. Here's $50 million to build an organization around this. And then they often look around and say, oh God, this is different, right? Building yeah. an organization, building a team, building the, uh, their own leadership philosophy is much different than having a product philosophy. So we often engage with founders when they're in that inflection point. You know, they're going from 25 or 50 people in the company to 150 or 250 in the next couple of years. And that transition is overwhelming for a lot of people. It's a very different skill set. And it calls upon them to bring a different energy to the business. You know, they have to move on from being the chief do everything officer to being a true chief executive officer or, you know, founding team C-suite yeah. that is providing a different function for the company. It's more about leadership. It's more about empowerment. It's more about enabling and developing the skill sets in others, as opposed to keeping all the marbles and doing all the work yourself. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, just to add to that, Edward, it makes so much sense around that framework that you just talked about. You can't build products that actually scale without building teams and cultures that scale. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about some yeah. of the early work that we did with Marketo, uh, with Phil Fernandez, who's the CEO who eventually took that company public. Um, there was a realization there that, uh, yeah, the Marketo Nation, which was the customers that actually sort of formed this passion around this Marketo product, but there's no way that Phil could actually scale and go public without a good team. 
So the commitment to hiring, you know, up leveling the team to building a culture, they have a very unique set of values, uh, Justin, that are really yeah. powerful. Uh, and by spending time on building that framework for who they are, it just really uh, attracted people to come to Marketo so they could scale. And so that focus on, uh, you know, product was also, you can't, you can't do that. You can't scale the product without scaling the team and the culture at the same time. Yeah. And hearing from different founders go through that at this point has been fascinating because it is so challenging, especially if they don't have that skill set, which many of them don't. Uh, they just haven't done it before, uh, especially if you're a first time founder and it can be so difficult to that point of, of of that, when you come in and you're working with a founder then who's going through this and really um, they've maybe raised a bunch of money and they're, they're at the point where they're going to need to do that. In terms of that framework of who they are, as you kind of mentioned, what goes into figuring that out or what are some of the questions you help them kind of think through? I think it's, um, you know, figuring out who they are is really important. I mean, these are people that are stars to begin with. I mean, one of the exciting things about Velocity is that we you know, we're doing a lot of coaching work with a lot of high-flying startups, and we're often referred by a lot of the venture firms. And so we we get companies that are the ones that, particularly these venture firms, want to see successful. So I think we get stars. I always say we get to work with the stars, but the stars do have their they do have their gaps, <laughs> and yeah. they do have their their defaults. Some of which are good, some of which are not as good. So. Um, I think we start by leveraging who they are. I mean, there's no, Steve Jobs said this, there's no substitute for authenticity and that 80% of what's going on with our clients is right, right? You just have to leverage that, leverage those mm -hmm. strengths. So I think we start with who the person is, right? And, and identify that through lots of different ways. Um, and then we, we look at those places, that other 20% that are going to be you know, possible gaps that could make a difference as they scale the team and the organization. And I think by doing that in a reflective sort of personal way, getting a clear idea of who they are, that's the start. And then that yeah. builds to the other pieces that, Edward, you could talk about team and culture and all those things. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree with that, John. Um, you know, for, for years, there was this idea of executive presence as like, a methodology for showing up as a leader. And I think what, what Silicon Valley has done is really turned that on its head and shown that authentic presence is really what we want now as a yeah. society. You know, we follow people who are most boldly themselves, right? So <clears throat> while, whereas founders sometimes come to us and like they're looking for the answers, they're looking for the playbook, <laughs> you know? It's like, great, what yeah. do I do? Tell me what to do, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what to do, you know, and, and, and our answer is often, well, what are you not seeing? You know, how do we develop your own personal ability to have insight around what needs to be done? That's really our role. So um, because there are no playbooks, you know, there, that's the great myth of Silicon Valley is that like there's like all these simple hacks, you know, <laughs> do this thing to be like Steve Jobs or, you know, follow this morning routine and you'll just be like, Tim Cook or Tony Hsu or one of these other great CEOs. And really everyone needs to figure out what works for them and what works in the context of their own team culture. So, yeah. you know, John, John's mentioning like culture and values, like you can't just take a, a, a value set off the shelf and say, all right, guys, here's our value set. This is what our culture is going to be like. I read this great book by Reed Hastings. We're going to have the same culture as Netflix. <laughs> right? Um, are there 
are there kernels of wisdom out there? Absolutely. Are those the gold standard answers? Not necessarily. You know, everyone yeah. needs to figure out what works most authentically for them, for their team, for their customer base. And it's the people who really spend time either figuring that out on their own or working with a coach to figure that out. They're the ones who build the memorable companies because they're unique. They stand alone, right? There's something just incredibly magnetic about the culture of that company or this company because they yeah. did it their way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Edward, you're saying we can't just wear a black turtleneck and then be like Steve Jobs? <laughs> no, actually, that's the one thing you can do. As soon as you wear a black turtleneck. Is that all it takes? <laughs> well, I just think of Elizabeth Holmes yeah. changing her voice and wearing a yeah, black, black turtleneck. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you see that. You see people imitating. I think that's so true around this, right? I mean, people uh, – and, and, you know, it's also very culture-driven, like to be successful at a company like Apple, it's a very different culture. And of course, within Apple, you have iTunes and iPad and you have Apple TV. So you've got different kinds of people. So, yeah. the, and that's true within companies. So being able, and there's not one type of leader. I mean, sometimes you find it's interesting because we deal with a lot of technical leaders. Uh, we're doing a lot of work, interesting, Justin, with biotech companies. They're scientists, they're PhD yeah. scientists. Yep. And they're a very different and their leadership style, their credibility is not in this presence and this uh, charisma and all this. <laughs> it's being real. It's being data driven. It's being um, honest and transparent. It's it's using data to make decisions. And so you have to be able to adapt the coaching to uh, the, the, the leader that you're working with and the culture of that kind of company, which is really important. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, I, I can just think of that now talking to some people on the show who have been, you know, they have deep domain expertise, like working at Tesla or SpaceX versus someone else who just, you know, is very charismatic, has led a team into battle their, you know, their own way, but they don't have any like technical expertise at all. They're non-technical founder in every way. And there's definitely a difference between them to that point. When you look at those different, different types of, of leaders, different types of people that are all the founders of these companies and working with them, how do you adapt or how do you as a coach then help them understand their different styles that they have i would just love to hear more about that edward why don't you take that one sure sure you know the first four to six weeks of any new coaching engagement is one of rapid and accelerated learning about the client like yeah we try to get to know these people as much as possible we do that obviously through like our intake conversations we ask lots of questions i mean coaching is is basically the art of inquiry. We're just asking lots of questions the entire time. But at the beginning, <clears throat> we really want to know, like, what are their core drivers? What's really important to them? What are their gifts? You know, um, what what's their purpose? What are they trying to accomplish here? And we also ask similar questions of a lot of their colleagues. So we do a very rigorous 360 at the beginning. We talk to their board members, we talk to their co-founders, we talk to direct reports, and we want to know what's working. You know, what are the gifts that this person has we want to amplify and what's not working? What are the blind spots? What are the things that I don't even know they don't even know that they don't know? You know, these these um, unconscious habits they might have or gaps in their leadership skill that they're completely aware of. They didn't even know they needed. Yeah. And then, you know, armed with that information, with the 360, with the the results of the first couple interviews, we can then put together like a framework for six months, 12 months, 18 months of coaching. All right. It looks like this is what we need to work on. Right. 
How does that sound? And um, it's funny. As soon as we name it, the client always knows. It's like, you know what? I knew that was coming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't have words. Like I've for heard it. that before. Right? <laughs> I've heard that yeah, before. Right. I didn't have mm -hmm. words for it, or I didn't know to bring it up. But God, that feels right. Yeah. Okay, that's what we need to work on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, another way to think about it too is that we uh, we are a uh, a firm that is data oriented, right? I, we we like to think about looking at uh, this feedback from three data points. I mean, it's like one self perceptions, right? So the 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 client's self perceptions, how he or she sees themselves is very important. It's a big driver to behavior. We like to see others. What do others, as Edward said, board members, you know, uh, direct reports, et cetera. And then we also like to observe them mm. because what they say and what others say about them may not be how they behave. Yeah. So watching them in action, seeing them on a Zoom meeting, look how much they talk, how much they listen. Uh, in some cases, we have a lot of people who like to control conversations. It's like they wonder why no one speaks up. <laughs> it's because they're talking 80% of the time. Right. Um, so how do you, uh, so having an observation and then uh, putting that into a context of where are we going? It's sort of Edward's point about purpose. We're also business coaches, Justin. We like actually taking companies public. Yeah. We like uh, scaling them. We like having them make money and we have a business perspective. This is not just about personal observation and all of that. It's like, what's the there there? If, if this all happens, where are we going? Will that make the quarter better? Will it move us to the next place? Can we then hire more people? Do we get more investment money? So we actually put our coaching into an ROI. I think that's a differentiator for Velocity. I really do. I think we're good at the personal stuff, the individual stuff, the assessment, but we're also good at helping them get results. One thing that's been brought up a couple times already is, is blind spots. How do you help founders with identifying blind spots and moving forward from there? Go ahead, John. Ah, well, I, I think we have, we have a lot of ways of doing that. I mean, we look, we have instrument, we have instruments that we use. So we start with what do you think your blind spots are? Right. And sometimes people are very aware They've been told that since they were kids. Since I was five years old, my mom told me that, right? Uh, so, so there may be an awareness to some things, but as Edward said, they may be blind to other things. So we, uh, we have the Myers-Briggs that we use as a uh, self-assessment tool. We use the Hogan, which is over 60 years of research, which looks, which looks at strengths, it looks at values, it looks at uh, what's working, but it also has a side to it, that instrument. Justin, which is called the dark side. It's like when people are at their worst, they default. And that instrument really gets us to have the conversation, not that the tool is right about everything, but it allows us to ask a lot of questions about the things that are really getting in the way of moving forward. So we use instrumentation actually to help have good conversations about what's really going on there. Uh, that's a start, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say the other thing that helps us identify blind spots is um, feedback. You know, a lot of people yep. are not fully aware of the impact they're having on others. You know, they think, oh, that went really well, didn't it? And then everyone leaves the meeting kind of like rolling their eyes and shaking their head. So, and, and, and this is, we laugh, but it's also like very tragic, right? Because um, a lot of leaders don't, no one knows how to give them feedback. No one's willing to speak up. You know, the leader has demonstrated sensitivity to feedback in the past. They've been defensive. 
So what happens is the trust then gets eroded and they enter into what we call false harmony, where everyone's just nodding and agreeing and not actually saying what's going on. And yeah. that is deadly for startups. That's deadly for leadership. So through the 360 process, through the interviews, we try to get the team to be really honest, at least with us. And then we're the messengers. We come in and say, sorry to be bad cop, but here's what we're hearing. You know, and we've frankly, you know, we've had grown men and women break down in tears during a 360 reading yeah. because the feedback is so hard to hear. Uh, you know, we've had people get defensive and storm out of the room like this can't be true. You know, and then they think about it. They come back and they say, well, I have heard that before. <laughs> or mm, I guess I could see that. And the 360 process helps them develop not only self-awareness, but only also a greater sense of empathy. Right. They're yeah. like, wow, I had no idea I was having that impact on people. I thought I was just being helpful. You know, I thought I was just driving greater performance. Whereas actually you're disempowering and being nitpicking and no one on your team wants to offer up creative solutions anymore. That's why you feel like you have to provide all the, all the answers because you've kind of shut down conversation. Right. So yeah. the feedback is really important. You know, we go back every six months and, and kind of refresh the 360 what's working, what's not working, what's changing, you know, is, are we pulling the right levers in the coaching? Um, are we are we making the progress we want to make? And that's very impactful. One of the things that we often talk about, uh, this kind of builds on Edward's framework around feedback and checking in and holding up the mirror continually, is that awareness does not equal change. Lots of people can be aware <laughs> mm. through coaching. You can give all this feedback. Yeah. But what you actually see when they show up. So we're right there. I mean, we we kind of live and breathe with them, right? We're there in those meetings. We see them. Uh, and uh, while we're not trying to give them uh, sort of th this technique or that, there are some tools that we can share with them that can help them actually pivot or uh, behave differently in a, uh, gain insights around their own behavior by doing something that will actually cause a different reaction. Um, you know, too many of our leaders are transactional. They think that it's all working and maybe on the transactional level, it is just in working, but they're not transforming their teams. They're not growing their leaders. So yeah. we are transformative coaches in that way. And we want to develop uh, leaders that actually can take those skills and sustain them throughout the growth of their company uh, when the coaching is done, actually. Yeah. And one of the things I just want to dive a little bit deeper on is going back to that 360 uh, and getting that feedback. What are some other aspects of that in terms of what that entails, uh, questions that are asked, th things that go into that getting feedback from people? I would love to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah. Our 360 is has two main components. We do a qualitative 360 where we interview people on the team. We wanna get the stories, we wanna get kind of the color. We wanna develop a rapport with members of their team so they feel safe communicating with us. Actually, after the 360, I sometimes get emails months later, like, hey, thank you, this is really working. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I can kind of communicate to the, that to the client and say, hey, you know, a little birdie told me that you did really well in this meeting, congratulations. That reinforces that behavior. The other thing we use is a uh, proprietary quantitative tool that we've developed that measures um, leaders' skills on 55 different leadership behaviors. And the value of that is we have a benchmark in the beginning. Like, here's 
how they're scoring on communication. Here's how they're scoring on diplomacy. Here's how they're scoring on executive management, driving performance, difficult conversations, all those things. And then we can come back in six months. We can come back in 12 months at the end of the engagement and issue that 360 tool again. And then we have bookmarked the experience. This is where you started and this is where you ended up. Or if we're only halfway through the coaching, here's where we're at now. We made improvements on communication, but we still have a lot of work to do on this other aspect of vision yeah. or something like that, right? So that, that two-part um, process of the qualitative and the quantitative is really effective for us. We get a lot of great information. The other thing there too, I think uh, Justin is thinking about the different Raider groups that are part of the 360. Yeah. It's interesting because you can have some people that are very strong on one-on-ones. People love it, but they may they may manage what, what we call hub and spoke. It's like <laughs> it's one-on-ones, but nothing is collective. So the team dynamic is not strong, right? They don't make decisions very well. The team doesn't make decisions together. Uh, which decisions do we make? Which decisions does the leader make? And then the other stakeholder group is the board. Uh, some people manage their boards very well. Others do not. And if these are young uh, founders, sometimes board management coaching is really appropriate. How do you present yourself to your investors? So the 360 actually, while it does all the stuff Edward talked about, it actually segments into Raider stakeholder groups. And that's very powerful to see how well you're doing across different groups. Yeah. On that note, you mentioned board management. What what go? I mean, what goes into that? What are some aspects of that? I would I'd love to hear more about that side of things. Because obviously, mm. founders that's a huge part of it. <laughs> like they don't have the experience with that. What goes into that from your end? Well, knowing how to present the dashboard of their progress, uh, the results of how you're doing, being able to talk a little bit about the way you're building the team. You know, the cultural aspects that are really important. Um, I think the big feedback we get from investors often is that um, we'd like our founders to be more uh, open to feedback. It's like uh, they, they would like them to, to when feedback is given. Now, you know, sometimes we get feedback from our clients that board members are too involved in certain things. <laughs> I wish they wouldn't give us feedback there. Yeah. But uh, uh, how, do you, how do you, in a board meeting, when a board member who's a major investor has a point of view that's really different, how do you handle that? So mm-hmm. handling difficult uh, perspectives in a meeting, uh, leaving time in the meeting to be able to talk a little bit about, uh, as, as a founder, what keeps you up at night? Board members really like to know that their, uh, their CEOs and their founders are worried about things, right? And so some founders don't want to be vulnerable. It's like uh, imposter syndrome if I say I'm worried about this. But there are ways that we coach them to balance that. This is, this is working really well. I worry about this. And then you engage the, the, uh, the board into conversations about that. So balancing that. We do a lot of good work with founders in managing their boards without question. One of the things that we we talked about a little bit, but I, I want to kind of dive deeper into the kind of differences, but you were, mentioned working with a, obviously a variety of different different founders. Can you take me through kind of the introvert introvert versus extrovert, how you how that differs in terms of working with these different types of of founders? Well, Ed, Edward, you take Edward was the lead on this article that got a lot of <laughs> um, just reaction around. <laughs> extroverts and introverts, et cetera. And I think Edward, take the lead on that one. (laughs) Sure, John. You know, there's a myth, not just in Silicon Valley, but around the world that 
extroverts are more natural leaders than introverts. Um, that was kind of turned on its head years ago. Jim Collins, you know, wrote Good to Great, and and he realized that it's actually some of the more humble and introverted leaders that long term lead to better results for their companies. And what we found is the introverted leaders come to us, they want to be more extroverted and the extroverted leaders come to us and they probably need to be a little bit more introverted. Right? So everyone's <laughs> kind of like coming a little bit towards the center, you know, yeah. um, the introverted leader wants to learn how to get up in front of the team and really deliver that, that driving speech and get people excited. And the extroverted leader is getting feedback from their team. Like we want a little bit more thoughtful feedback. You know, we want a little bit less of the rah, rah and a little bit more of the empowering one-on-one -on -one conversation. So the, the, the various skill sets um, that the introverts and extroverts have, they end up kind of looking across the fence and the grass is always greener. They want a little bit more of that over there. Right. And the good news is, you know, coaching is a great place to develop those, um, uh, to, to broaden your range as a leader. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, you don't have to imitate another form of leadership to be a successful leader. You know, yeah. the introverts don't need to learn how to be extroverted. The extroverts don't need to learn how to be introverted if that's what Jim Collins said leads to better results. Um, each leader needs to learn to use their own tools well. With that as well, on that note of uh, introvert versus extrovert, I mean, is there any difference in terms of how that influences looking at developing a high-performing team and what you need to do as a leader? Yeah, I, I think there's something around um, sort of people's natural default, right? Um, sometimes we get clients, uh, Justin, that their uh, natural default may be to not make that decision right now, yeah. right? Uh, they're, they're more reflective. Introverts tend to be, I, I've often said, because we deal with so many uh, technical people and often they are more introverted, not always, but, uh, and so many of them have learned to be more extroverted in selling their companies and getting investments. So they've really evolved around the scale, but um, being able to call out, I mean, I think Edward said this, we use this a lot to be able to name what it is you're actually feeling and thinking. So if you're an introvert and you're not ready to make that decision, right, you need time to reflect and think about it, to name that in the group, to be able to say, you know, I'll be able to make that decision with a couple of days. I need a little more data here. I mean, it's interesting. Our, a lot of our clients need more data. Sometimes it's overdone data. <laughs> it's like <laughs> we would like them to actually make that decision a lot sooner. Yeah. And how much data do you need and trust your instincts? Cause you probably have it. So we go there. Um, but the reflective uh, nature of that profile of that individual is often very positive. But you need to actually tell people, we'll make that call. It'll be done here. Uh, so call out that. And, uh, and that can work very effectively for people. So allowing people to be introverted, but frame that in a way that that decision will be made with the right reflection and a little more data. Yeah. And this is obviously a lot of us kind of thinking through the founders and their, their team. But I would love to hear more about the founders themselves in terms of communicating with each other. Anything on that that's been uh, that you think is useful for people to know around how founders can communicate with each other? Because in the early days, I mean, it might be just them working on the business, and it's a lot different than as they're scaling and they have different responsibilities. Uh, take me through that side of things as well. 
so the co-founder relationship is by definition the foundational relationship of the whole organization, right? The the power of that dynamic, the power and quality of that relationship in many ways sets the standard for the quality of the relationships and the quality of the conversations that everyone else in the company has. So if there are you know fractures, if there are there's a, there's a misalignment in that founding team, that can lead to chasms down in the organization. So uh, a lot of the work we do with co-founders is helping them develop ways of constantly seeking better and better alignment and being very honest and aware of when they're starting to drift apart, you know, when their um, skill sets are complementary and where they overlap, you know, they need to figure out very early roles and responsibilities. They need to be clear about decision-making. They need to be clear about how they give each other feedback. And these are a lot of questions that frankly, founders don't think about in the beginning, they're just excited. <laughs> we're building this thing. It's going to be awesome. You know, we're never going to have a fight, obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and everyone learns that that's not true. Um, some learn the hard way. Some learn by being proactive about it and just by, you know, reading about other experiences other founders have had and saying, huh, you know, actually, maybe we should talk about the relationship and not just talk about the product. And what we try to do is encourage founders to spend an appropriate amount of time proactively, specifically working on the relationship from time to time. That leads to uh, much better outcomes. It leads to clarity around the relationship. And ultimately, it helps them from getting into that space where they've drifted too far apart to ever really recover. Well, I, I was just going to add to that, that it's interesting, Justin, there are we've had engagements that have been what we would call founder therapy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, uh, and it's very much what Edward talked about, but it's so critical to define those roles. What I have found interesting with companies that have evolved, we've been with for some time is their roles change. Mm. Um, and they have to keep their passion, their energy, and sometimes their uh, engagement changes as well. And we've, we've had lots of, you know, work that we've done to evolve that role and and um, helping them actually get to the right place. Those are difficult conversations to have because your founder is usually someone that you have been very close to. Oftentimes they're very close friends. So you're dealing with a really deep level of a relationship. So having someone evolve out of the company, uh, going on the board, changing the role. Those are difficult situations, but we can often be helpful in navigating the, those challenges for people. We've had a lot of success with that. One of the things I want to kind of switching gears a little bit here is going back to Velocity Group itself. How have you gone about growing this, this company over the last number of years? Well, I, I think uh, I'll start off with that one, uh, Edward, just uh, thinking a little bit about the coaches. We have really scaled and grown as a company. And a lot of that is a result, I think, of just uh, engaging ourselves with a lot of really good coaches. I think early on, I think we uh, brought in coaches that had, uh, I think, Justin, a lot of experience with larger companies. They'd come out of the larger organizations. But maybe the the fit was not as good with the startup. The startup world with particularly millennials and you know, young founders who have never been uh, CEOs or founders before, it's a different ballgame, right? And it's also the, it's just 
the climates are different, the cultures are different around that. And there's certain coaches that need to be adaptable, flexible. They've got to work at the personal, the team, the organizational level. They've got to be more systemic in their approach to coaching. And so in general, it, it takes a you know, a more flexible coach that's knowledgeable on all this stuff, but can adapt to the moment. So we have done, I think, a much better job as we move forward in getting the right coaches. So we've scaled the company by getting the right kind of coaches for the, the, the startup world, the world that we're working in, but also coaches that can help scale. So I, I mean, we like coaches that have done good startup work, but have also taken companies public. Those are harder coaches to find, yeah. but we've been very fortunate to find them. Um, just to add to that, John, you know, I think, um, Justin, we've approached growth very organically um, yeah. as opposed to, you know, being like the, the biggest podcasters or the biggest bloggers or marketing or, you know, offering free consultations. We really just focus on doing good work, you know, and yeah. we focus on working with uh, companies that we think have um, great potential, uh, companies we believe in. And very naturally then, you know, these companies grow. You know, we started working with DoorDash 18 months ago. We started working with Masterclass two years ago, Hinge two years ago. And these companies have just like exploded. And um, as a result, our network of clients is more and more um, successful, more and more influential. And then they're just making really great high quality referrals to us. I mean, this is mainly a word of mouth business, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we, we purposely don't do a lot of marketing because um, we want to make sure that we're attracting the right clients, those clients who are uh, not simply um, trying to figure out like the very early work in the, in the company, but They've proven out the product. They're, you know, they've raised a, a Series A, and they're really looking to scale. You know, because that's our sweet spot. So those clients tend to get to the point. They've raised a Series A. They've kind of looked around and said, "Oh wow, this looks really hard." <laughs> and then they ask around. They ask their friends. They ask their yeah. their investors. They say, "What should what should I do? You know, should I get a coach?" Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, you know, the investors are like, "Yes, this is this is the time." This is when it's the right time to get a coach. Right. And I think that that's the other part, Justin, around the business, because we don't brand a lot and it's all referral. The investor referrals yeah. have just accelerated. It used to be early on. It's like, you know, investors just did everything. They coached on product, mm-hmm. market fit, you know, finances, all that. And all the stuff imploding around the team, right? Mm-hmm. And the individual founder that they knew needed help and leading, right? And they worried about that, right? Now it's like, it's almost like the investors will call us and say, we've just invested a ton of money in this company. We want them to have a coach. And that is a whole mindset shift that has, we actually, Edward, we started the business at the right time. (laughs) (laughs) Sure did. And they really, um, they really welcome our support. And we have good relationships with a number of uh, investing firms. We're not, uh, we don't communicate anything that goes on when, when the, it's referral. There's nothing that comes back to the investors. We don't have meetings with them on how the, the CEO is, is doing. It's all confidential. But we love 
the fact that they are valuing the coaching and how critical it is in building teams and cultures to the success of the company. That's a shift in mindset. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that too, from the number of company founders I've had on recently who are exactly what you mentioned. They're like at series A or series B and they all have coaches. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. I think I'm thinking like Dion from yeah. Forethought. Uh, I'm thinking of Aman Abizid from Incredible Health, uh, Chris from Wonder mm -hmm. School, all mm -hmm. three of them. I think they all have coaches mm -hmm. and they mentioned how useful that has been and really getting coaches for different reasons. One being on a culture side of it, one just being kind of the founder psychology uh, and then mm -hmm. a different one as well. But it, it can be so beneficial and I've heard those stories from them and how it's been useful. So I see obviously the value of that. And at that stage of the company, that's when really, you know, you're taking off and really trying to say, okay, let's get to this IPO eventually, you know, and scaling towards that. And one of the things I wanted to ask about, how did this book, The Power of Insight come about? The power of insight came about probably 18 months ago. John and I started talking about write a book, writing a book because we realized we can only work with so many founders. You know, we can only work with so many people. You can only build a services company with so many coaches. And there's something in the work that we do that we wanted to bring to more people, you know. And that thing is exactly what we talked about at the top of the call, which is there are no easy answers. You know, there are no playbooks. Uh, a lot of people are searching around the internet for recipes for how to build a company or, um, you know, what was, what was Steve Jobs morning routine, et cetera. And <laughs> we, we realized that like what we do in the coaching process is we ask the hard questions that get people thinking and get them to a place of having a personal insight. Right, they're gaining a greater awareness of themselves, of, their, of themselves, their strengths, their fears, their uh, their needs. Like, what do they need to feel optimal? You know, what is their personal morning routine, as opposed to a morning routine they they've stolen off the internet, right? Yeah. And because a lot of us, we're trying all these answers on. This is how Tim Cook did it. This is how Reed Hastings did it. You know. Um, as opposed to, this is what I need to do. And the goal of the book is to kind of take people through an experience that feels like being coached by us. We're asking the reader these tough questions. We're having them take a handful of online assessments to learn about themselves and also to learn about their teams, right? Because as much as I need to know what I need to feel optimal as a leader, I also need to know what my team needs to feel optimal. And it's my job to give them that. You know, if a flower isn't blooming, you don't put it on a performance improvement plan. <laughs> you <laughs> give it more water. You give it a little bit more sunshine. Maybe you give it some fertilizer. You know, a lot of the issues we're dealing with with low performance in teams is simply because people aren't getting what they need. They don't feel psychologically safe. They're not um, in an environment that feels creative. Um, they're not taking care of themselves personally in the right way. And if we can, through the book, help people answer those questions for themselves, we really feel like we'll be providing a greater service to the world. And that's really what it's all about. It's also, um, you know, when, when folks read the book, we really hope they'll feel like they're in the room with us, right? As we've coached a lot of these founders through these uh, insight moments, right? These breakthroughs. Uh, using these very simple questions, but critical and deep questions around what do they need? What are their desires? 
What do you fear? What are you afraid of? What are your natural gifts? And then ultimately, what is your purpose? So we'll frame those questions around some of these narratives, these stories at these different stages of the questioning pyramid, the insight pyramid, which we think will give people uh, not just uh, leaders in companies, but life in general will give people lots of uh, ways to think about themselves and make changes in, in where they want to go with their lives and their, their organizations. And one of the last questions I have is just for, for each of you, I'd love to hear, how do you invest in yourself as coaches? Hmm. Well, I think we take time in those things that we enjoy that are not part of coaching, right? And for me, it would be photography. I love actually taking pictures. I think uh, I also like doing video. I'm a big videographer as well. Yeah. Uh, I think if I if were if I were not a coach, I would probably be have been a movie director, right? <laughs> <laughs> sort of, and so uh, Ron Howard's masterclass uh, thing on how to make a movie was wonderful. I learned so much about shots over the shoulder, mm, etc. Yeah. So how do I actually escape? I escape by doing something I have a lot of joy in, which is go out and take some photographs, even with the iPhone, and just frame them and send them to people and just just the joy of photography. Yeah. Just getting away from it works a lot for me. And what John didn't mention is that he actually is a film director. Every year he does a holiday <laughs> film with his grandkids. Amazing. <laughs> totally amazing. Totally amazing. Yeah, and, and this this one, Justin, is this year is called the COVID Christmas. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Watch out, world. Watch out world for that one. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Justin, your question is like, how do we develop ourselves as coaches? And it's it's no mistake that John answered talking about what he does outside of coaching. You know, um, a lot of us yeah. think that we need to be constantly developing that one skill. But, um, you know, a study was done years ago on Nobel Prize winners, and they found that something like 60 or 80 percent of Nobel Prize winners over the years were people who were also expert musicians or expert mm -hmm. actors, right? They lived more well-rounded lives. And I think we're living in an age where people think they need to hyper-specialize and only do this one thing. So like we sometimes talk to founders who are like, I, I'm constantly um, listening to every single book on leadership, or I'm listening to every single podcast nonstop 24 hours a day on uh, on, on the grind, right. On, <laughs> yeah. on how to start a company. And, uh, and I think it's an incredible value that all of this wisdom is out there, but we also need to take care of ourselves. We need to go for long walks, you know? So like one thing I really discovered, um, through the quarantine is I was grinding for the last couple of years, I was working too much and I was too focused on growing the business. And the, the quarantine has, given me an excuse to slow down. I relearned to surf this year. You know, I go on hikes a few times a week. I jumped on my mountain, my, my road bike again. Yeah. And uh, by being a more uh, well-rounded individual again, I'm able to show up with better energy and feeling more resourced for my clients. Now that said, we're also always investing in our own growth. Um, we're, a, we're a firm that doesn't really believe in one way of coaching. Um, we don't have like the velocity method, quote unquote, or anything like that. So as a community of coaches, we're always training each other. We get together on phone calls and lead each other through new 
thought experiments and frameworks. And we're always getting new certifications and different assessments and tools because we want to have the biggest, most robust toolbox of coaching tools possible so that we can provide the right solution to the right client as opposed to, you know, we are a coactive coaching shop or we're a conscious leadership shop and we know that that's the right solution for everybody. We don't believe that. So we're constantly developing ourselves as well. There's, there's so much that goes into that side of things. And I obviously ask a lot of founders how they recharge and what helps them. And you know, I think many of them recently have mentioned getting outside into nature as being one of those mm-hmm. ways that is just really helpful, especially when you're at a computer all the time or you have all these Zoom meetings, whatever it may be, stepping away. And I found me personally kind of thinking through the direction I want to take everything. Long walks, oh my goodness, so helpful. I haven't, I didn't really walk yes. per se, like before quarantine. I, I'm trying to think of like, I just go on walks to just kind of think mm-hmm. through stuff. And the number of times during quarantine that it's now happened where I like go for a walk almost every morning just to kind of think through and like almost like defragment my brain for a half an hour or something. Well, you know, Justin, we, we often have to help people structure that. Yeah. I mean, our founders are driven. These are driven people, right? With lots of lots of things on their shoulders, right? And so it's almost like we have to help them structure that time. You know, take three times that we can take an hour here. Yeah. And once you give them permission as a coach to do that, and it's on their calendar, and then you ask them, did you do that? Uh, yeah. That makes a big Wait, difference. Wait, you're saying so there's accountability? accountability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's accountability to taking care of yourself. There's accountability to taking care of yourself. I totally, I mean, I even feel like, Edward, the book that we're writing, talk about the way we develop and grow. I'm growing so much by the writing, reflecting, yeah, yeah. using that in my practice. So it's like, you got to keep yourself growing and you got to keep yourself open and you got to get away from it to be able to get back to it. Yeah, 100%. On that note of the writing, there's so many people who have mentioned that similar thing. Like that's how you clarify your thoughts is writing. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, mm-hmm. it's been for so sure. helpful for a lot of people I've talked to as well on that side of things. When they, when they write things down, that's when it's like, oh, okay. It makes the difference. Right. Exactly. John Edward, where can people go to learn more about Velocity Group and connect with you as well? Sure. Our website is gainvelocity.com. Gain as in get more of, G-A-I-N, velocity.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Justin. Great questions, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.